The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. After years of delays and difficulties, the official start of construction for the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion kicked off yesterday afternoon. The president and the CEO of Trans Mountain says a pipe for the expansion will be in the ground before Christmas to take a closer look at the project and the announcement. And what's next? We're joined by the publisher of Energy News and the author of the new Alberta Advantage, Markham Hislop. Markham, welcome back to the show. Jalen, always a pleasure. How are you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. Let's take a look back about 24 hours. It was uh, just about this time yesterday that um, uh, the president of TMX, along with the energy minister, then the federal natural, uh, federal natural resources minister, uh, gathered at, a, at the uh, Somerville site out in Atchison to, to make this announcement. Uh, we know that the work has been going on for a little while now, but I think, you know, obviously some good news and another chance for, for the government all levels to beat the drum a little bit. Well, I, I agree, and Alberta really needs some good news around pipelines because uh, the production, uh, oil production, is still curtailed. You know what started in January when the, when the Notley government uh, introduced that. Uh, that's lowered cap, uh, capital investment in the industry, and that in turn has led to some lost jobs. So that's you know tough for Albertans. So any uh, any growth in the future is going to require more uh, pipelines, more shipping access, or more capacity, sorry. And so this is all good news for Alberta. So a few things that the CEO of TMX, Ian Anderson, pointed out yesterday in his opening comments uh, was talking about the uh, 57 support agreements for the project with Indigenous communities uh, between Edmonton and and the coast. Um, Expand on the importance of that, Markham. Things have changed a lot in the last five or ten years. Now, the Alberta industry has been very good uh, at building relationships and uh, business relationships and employing indigenous communities up in northern Alberta. And I I think the industry quite rightly can take some pride in that. This idea of benefit agreements uh, along a pipeline route is a little bit new. And I think that's really going to be a key part of uh, getting First Nation Indigenous community buy-in to linear energy projects going forward. And really, I know uh, I interviewed uh, uh, J.D. Uh, uh, Gladue from the uh, Canadian Aboriginal Business Association, and he describes it as economic reconciliation. Mm. You know, look, uh, First Nations people have been left out of these kinds of projects for way too long. We live, you know, our communities live in poverty. They don't have a uh, at even a decent level of services, and this has the potential to change all of that. So agreements, uh, I would be really surprised uh, if ultimately we don't see all or a portion of the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline actually sold the First Nation. Mm, interesting, you know, but it's, it's. Uh, I know on, on Jesperson's show this morning, there was some folks texting in and, and making it sound like that, you know, there are still some uh, First Nations, uh, Indigenous communities out there who are not supportive of this and who, who are, are who are willing to fight it. Um, yeah, how, how big of a reality is that? Jalen, I can't say this strongly enough, and I think it needs to be said to the industry as well. The uh, environment around new pipeline construction or new pipeline projects and approvals has changed forever. Mm. There is never, ever going to be a future in which an Alberta pipeline project gets 
percent approval from everybody that's along the pipeline or is at the say at the terminal end as on the on the west coast that is the new reality and anybody who thinks about social license meaning you know that somehow Zipporah Berman and David Suzuki were suddenly going to be pipeline you know supporters and and come on board because of you know whatever you know uh, carbon pricing or whatever else might have been done that is not going to be happening and I think Albertans have to understand that their ambitions are going to be uh, increasingly opposed as we move into this low-carbon future, as the federal government implements its new, more stricter uh, stricter uh, climate policies. This is the new normal, the new reality. Alberta has to get accustomed to it. Uh, you, you touched on how things have changed when it comes to uh, energy into the pipelines. Ian Anderson uh, yesterday talked about the fact in his opening statement, Markham, that the project that they were celebrating yesterday is not the same one that they started with. He went on to say that they learned a huge amount, um, talked about, um, you know, when he, he was talking about the interest from, from locals along the route, about local concerns, about, uh, you know, taking a closer listen to them, um, using different kinds of, of pipe and um, uh, t- to make sure that uh, spills don't have and ha- happen uh, or, you know, hope that it doesn't happen. What do you think that TMX has taken away from this process? Well, there's a couple of things that TMX and the industry uh, can take away from this process and Albertans and British Columbians can take away. So a couple of years ago, I wrote a, uh, a column about the changing uh, technology around pipelines. So the pipeline of today is very, very different than the pipeline of 10 years ago. There's so much more um, detection technology. There's there's drone supervision and surveillance over it. There's And what we've seen, in a, particularly in Alberta, is a decline in the incidence of the number of leaks and in the volume of those leaks. Pipelines today simply are safer than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Now, one of the be- one of the lessons that the industry can take away is why are they not talking about this? I mean, this this, this has been going on for now almost ten years, hmm. Daylin, and it should it shouldn't be the first time you hear about it. So, so why aren't they talking about it, Markham? Because this, the industry doesn't talk about anything; it doesn't have to. Yeah, this is a this is a major major fundamental communications error that the industry has made for decades. It doesn't like to talk to anybody other than its uh, shareholders (laughs) and the stakeholders that are around its projects. And it does not want to talk to you, and it doesn't want to talk to me, and it doesn't want to talk to the general public if it doesn't have to. These are, that's the end of the culture. Now, do you remember three or four months ago when the uh, three oil fans companies uh, issued, uh, they bought uh, advertising space in the national newspapers mm-hmm. for an, an open letter to Canadians. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that stuck out in there that really got my attention was they said, we have done a very poor job of telling our story. <laughs> and that is a condemnation, as I wrote in the column, of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, the uh, the Small Petroleum Producers Association, the Petroleum Services Company, PSAC, uh, all of those trade associations. And the companies do a horrible job of communicating. So even in Alberta, they don't communicate well. Imagine how poorly they do in B.C., Ontario, and Quebec. Uh, You're in B.C. uh, these days. What is the talk uh, about the pipeline out there right now? Well, I think think that finally uh, the 
Uh, there will always be opposition, uh, especially down in Burnaby and, and uh, Vancouver. That's I think that, that is a given. But I think there's also a resignation that this is a done deal. I, I think that they, you know, the, the government uh, buying the uh, Kinder Morgan Canada's assets and committing to build the transbound expansion pipeline and and standing behind it as firmly as they have. I know there's lots of skepticism in Alberta, but I've said from the very beginning that the transmountain expansion uh, was too significant a project for national or for international investor confidence in Canada for the federal government to let it fail. And I think we're seeing that now. And I think a lot of British Columbians uh, that I'm talking to are, are resigned to it. Yesterday, again, during his uh, opening remarks, um, again, the CEO of uh, TMX, Ian Anderson, um, he had... He had um, thanked the different levels of government, the the federal uh, government, the provincial government. And I know um, on, on your Twitter account, it's been interesting to see some of the comments. There have been ongoing attacks by the federal conservatives that other parties, i.e. the liberals, um, have put thousands out of jobs here at home. We're hearing that about NDP policy, uh, the same thing. And there's a lot of folks that saying, OK, you know, it just needs to end. It's not going to end. This is, uh, and uh, I've been saying this for th- uh, three years, Jalen. I've said it on your show before. Uh, three years ago, I wrote uh, a piece called The Tsunami of Innovation That Was Coming for the Oil and Gas Business Model. Artificial intelligence, robotics, automation, mm-hmm. uh, all of those, that suite of technologies, which essentially replaces humans. And in uh, oil and gas, uh, is one of those industries that's been slow to adopt. They're behind, like, high-tech and manufacturing and, and other industries, but it's here now. And what you're seeing is, if you look at, uh, take Husky Energy. So Husky announced, you know, it's, it's laying off 370 uh, employees, and it's spending less money to get more oil out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of that is indicative. Uh, oh, and by the way, if you don't mind, uh, Jalen, I should say uh, I I need a, uh, uh, a uh, to disclose that I do do the odd little bit of uh, freelance writing for for Husky, so okay. I need to make that, that disclosure. You. Yeah. So th- my point my point here is that this process is just beginning, and a lot of it is white collar professional work, and you're going to see more and more of that uh, over the next five years as Suncor and CNRL and Husky. Uh, Imperial Oil and others start implementing this technology. The layoffs are just beginning, I'm afraid. Uh, okay, you know what? This this question just came in on uh, my text line, Mark. I'm going to ask it to you because I can't answer it. It says, why is this TMX announcement, uh, or why isn't this announcement being celebrated more, and or why aren't the protesters screaming more if it's actually officially under construction? Something doesn't feel right. I thought people would be a little bit more excited uh, as well, Markham. I, I think there's a sense of uh, anti-climax here. Uh, we've had this fight for years now. <laughs> and, you know, and, and if you're the, uh, you know, you see some of the, um, uh, like Grand Chief uh, Stuart Phillips, uh, sorry, Phillips, uh, I think it's Philip Stewart, uh, was saying that the, the opposition is not done yet and, and there's still another uh, judicial review or appeal of a judicial review that has to wind through the Federal Court of Appeal. So, but I, I, I don't think that we're likely to see the kind of uh, really noisy, uh, sustained protests uh, that we saw, you know, two, three, four, five years ago. That, that's my feeling. Uh, who's to say that, 
you know, groups, environmental groups like Dogwood Initiative in Vancouver won't be able to whip the folks up uh, when construction starts in earnest down in, in Burnaby. That may very well happen. But I, I think there's a sense here that this is a fait accompli, that this, this pipeline is going to be built. Markham Hislop joining me this afternoon. Markham, I have to pay a couple of bills. Can you hold the line? I have a few more questions for you. Absolutely. Thank you, Markham. More with Markham Hislop right after this. Joined this afternoon by Markham Hislop. He is the publisher of Energy News, the author of the new Alberta Advantage Technology Policy in the Future of the Oil Sands. Uh, reading today, Markham, that uh, Canadian Natural, so CNRL, uh, increasing its 2020 capital budget by approximately $250 million, um, adding, what, 60 drilling locations across Alberta, putting three additional drilling rigs to work, creating about uh, uh, 1,000 full-time jobs for Albertans. That's a little bit of good news today. It is, and um, uh, uh, CNRL is one of the companies that actually benefited from the uh, production curtailment uh, because they sell more of their uh, more of their product at a discounted price. Companies like uh, Husky and Suncor and Imperial Oil basically uh, have because they're integrated, they have their own their own uh, operators and they have their own uh, refineries. Many of them down in the U.S. Um, they are fully protected or almost fully protected from the discount between uh, the American and Canadian yeah. prices, whereas CNRL and Sonovus, the, the other two of the big five, are not to any, uh, maybe only 50 to 60 percent. So this is, I think, one of the reasons why we're seeing uh, CNRL uh, do some additional drilling is because that agreement, the production curtailment, raises prices, makes uh, better for them, and so one has to think that's a bit of an incentive to uh, raise their capital uh, budget. There has been a lot of focus, and maybe it's just because some reporters have been doing uh, some deep dives into it lately, but there seems to be a lot of focus in the past couple of weeks on what what uh, Texas is doing right when it comes to, I don't know, diversification, the, the energy industry, and why so many uh, Canadians and, and companies are, are moving down there. Is it justified? Are, are they doing something that we should be doing more of? Should we be looking to the Texas model to, to figure our crap out here? No. And this, uh, absolutely not. And what the, the reason why, first of all, they're all light, sweet crude shale basins, and, and 80% of the oil in Alberta is heavy crude from the, yep. the oil sands. It, it really is apples and oranges. But there's also a, a lot of mythology uh, that's been uh, created around uh, Texas, particularly the Permian Basin. I've interviewed, uh, like, uh, Ed Hurst, who's a professor of economics at the University of Houston and uh, Bernadette Johnson at uh, Drilling Info, and the, the there's a bit of a uh, uh, I don't know what to call it smokescreen. Uh, the shale basin wells have a very high decline rate, so they they basically by 12 months, 18 months, uh, they've declined you know 60, 70, 80 percent, hmm. and the industry has to go and drill a lot more new wells. So whereas the oil sands spends a lot of its capital up front and then has very low capital spending uh, once it's got its project in place, the shale is the exact opposite. They have to keep throwing huge amounts of capital at their drilling program. So what that means is they have a lot of drilling rigs out in the, uh, out in the field uh, at any given time just to maintain their current production, uh-huh. never mind growing it. And so if you're in the drilling or service industry, it looks like a boom. It looks great, but what they, what they don't tell you is a lot of the uh, a lot of the shale basin independents 
in the Permian, for instance, can't even make money at $60 West Texas uh, Intermediate a barrel. And many of them have been losing money since 2008. And the only reason that, that they're still uh, up and running, or they're still in existence, is because Wall Street has given them the capital to make up the difference uh, uh, because they're not profitable. And last December, uh, Wall Street basically said to the shale basin producers, uh, taps have turned off, folks. Mm. You now have to live within your your your, your uh, cash flow, and we're not. So there are a lot of companies, uh, shale producers down in Texas, that are close to bankruptcy. They're being snapped up by, by other uh, bigger companies. There's going to be a huge wave of uh, integration as the bigger companies grow and the little companies uh, either uh, fail and get bought up. So it Texas is absolutely not not a uh, uh, a model for uh, Alberta, and that's what the economists that I've interviewed have told me. Uh, before I let you go, uh, tomorrow is the throne speech, Parliament back in uh, session. Uh, how do you think the federal government is going to uh, ha- uh, uh, balance the energy file and uh, this commitment to climate change? Well, I, I wrote a column the day after the election, and I said, look, uh, given the fact that all, you know, the, the Liberals had a uh, stronger climate, uh, they added to their existing climate policies, the NDP, who now will have some, you know, sense of balance of power within within the House, uh, had an even stronger. And then the Greens, who have three seats, were stronger yet. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on the, mm-hmm. on the Liberals to follow through with their promises and all roads to lower THC emissions run through Alberta. Alberta has 11.5% of the population, produces 36% of national emissions. This, we, now, with Seamus O'Regan... Uh, the Natural Resources Minister coming out and meeting with uh, Sonia Savage, the Alberta Energy Minister. You know, those kinds of, we're starting to see maybe there might be a sense of cooperation, but this is going to be a very, very difficult conversation because other provinces like B.C., Ontario, and Quebec are going to say, why should we cut more and take on more costs to lower our emissions when Alberta generates such a large percentage of the national uh, uh, national emissions total? This is going to be a really, really tough discussion over the next four years, I think. Mark, I'm always great to talk to you. I appreciate your time this afternoon. Always a pleasure, Julian. Take care. Markham Hislop, the uh, the publisher of Energy News. Again, uh, his new book is The New Alberta Advantage.